Hello and welcome to JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JG Ministries, and I'm so glad to have you with us today. Be sure to follow this podcast and receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are studying the book of Luke. We're unpacking chapter 4, and if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to chapter 4. We'll begin today with verse 22. Let's get into it. Now, we have seen the temptation of Jesus by the devil. We've seen how Jesus was rejected from the synagogue in his hometown. And now we're going to start seeing Jesus's ministry and his power through his miracles that he performs. Now, last time we kind of stopped in the middle where Jesus is in his hometown synagogue. And it's in Nazareth and he's reading from the Holy Scriptures, the Torah, and he's reading from the words of Isaiah. And Jesus, when we left last time, had just enlightened everybody that the Scriptures had been fulfilled as he read them to him, that basically the Messiah has come. So beginning up with verse 2 here, or verse 22, Let's go ahead and read some here, and I'll read uh, up uh, till up to verse 30. So beginning with verse 22, So all bore witness to him, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zapareth in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the name of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now getting back up to verse 22. The audience appears to have responded first with a positive attitude to Jesus' words. The people were obviously impressed and amazed. They spoke well of him, having been attracted to him by his gracious words. The cause of their amazement was the kind and wise manner of Jesus' speech or of what he said about the grace of God. Now, certainly Luke appreciates and conveys the gracious nature of of Jesus's ministry, but at some point here or shortly after, the hostility of the audience begins. It was a mystery to them how Joseph's son, the carpenter, had developed so well. Keep in mind, Jesus grew up in Nazareth. They knew Joseph. They knew the family. So their question, isn't this Joseph's son, seems to express perplexity and even irritation at this man, Jesus, who grew up in the home of a fellow Nazarene, and now he is making such impressive claims. 
So in verse 23, the Lord knew that his this popularity was shallow. There was no real appreciation of his true identity or his worth. To them, he was just one of their own hometown boys who had made good in Capernaum. Now, Jesus' response is not intended to reassure his audience, but rather to draw out their subconscious attitudes. Now, since Jesus had already had a wide teaching ministry, he anticipated that they would say to him, Physician, heal yourself. Now, ordinarily, this parable would mean do for yourself what you have done for others. Cure your own condition since you claim to cure others. But here the meaning is slightly different. It is explained in the words that follow, whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country, that is Nazareth. It was a scornful challenge for Jesus to perform miracles in Nazareth as he had done elsewhere and thus save himself from ridicule. Now, throughout his ministry, Jesus would be challenged to do miracles, to do signs, to prove his claim. So getting into verses 24 to 27, we're going to have Jesus speaking. But before we get there, I want to hit on a quick side note. I want to stress the term, assuredly, I say to you, or sometimes you will see most assuredly, I say to you, but every time you see this, it is a heads up, if you will, of what's going to follow is going to be very important. It's like what we might say today is, hey, listen up, or now hear this. And the term, if I tell you truly, or the term, I tell you the truth, which is used six times in the book of Luke, it's to introduce a solemn assertion. Now, this expression shows the authority with which Jesus spoke and is clearly an authentic word of Jesus's. Now, this introductory formula appears often in the book of Mark and even more frequently in the book of Matthew. So a little food for that to keep in your back and your mind every time you see, most assuredly, I say. Uh, but to continue with Jesus's words, the Lord replied by stating a deep-rooted principle in human affairs. Great men are not appreciated in their own neighborhood. They're not appreciated in their hometown, if you will. Jesus then cites two pointed incidences in the Old Testament where the prophets of God, which were Elijah, Elijah and Elisha, two separate guys, were not appreciated by the people of Israel and so were sent to Gentiles. Now, Gentiles, as a reminder, are those that are not Jews. Now, when there was a great famine in Israel, Elijah was not sent to any Jewish widows, though there were plenty of them, but he was sent to a Gentile widow, which was in Sidon. And although many lepers <clears throat> excuse me, were in Israel when Elisha was ministering, he was not sent to any of them. Now, instead, he was sent to the Gentile Naman, who was captain of the Syrian army. So imagine the impact of Jesus' words on Jewish minds. They placed women, Gentiles, these lepers, at the bottom of their 
social scale. So they had women, Gentiles, and lepers. They were looked down upon. They were kind of cast out, if you will. There was no, not much respect for them at all. But here the Lord pointedly placed all three about unbelieving Jews. Now what he was saying was the Old Testament history was about to repeat itself. In spite of Jesus' miracles, he would be rejected not only by his hometown, the city of Nazareth, but by the entire nation of Israel. He would then turn to the Gentiles, just as Elijah and Elisha had done. Jesus's audience is becoming more and more outraged as they realize that they will receive no special favors from Jesus and that Jesus considers himself above home ties and traditions. This makes them very angry. So in verse 28, the people in Nazareth, they understood exactly what Jesus meant. They were infuriated by the mere suggestion of favor being shown to the Gentiles. Man bitterly hates the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, which Christ had just declared. God was under no obligation to work miracles among them. And that's going to lead us into verses 29 and 30. Now, Geographically, Nazareth laid among the ridges of the southern slopes of the Galilean hills. The people thrust Jesus out of the city to the brow of this hill, and they were intending to throw him down over this cliff. Now, doubtless this was instigated by Satan as another attempt to destroy the royal heir, but Jesus miraculously walked through the crowd, and left the city. His foes were powerless to stop him. Jesus allowed the crowds to drive him out of town. And as he did, later did on going to the place of crucifixion, he did that of his free will. He allowed, didn't allow anybody to stop him. This had to be done, and that's why it was allowed. But it was not his time to die. We have to keep that in mind. We have a time frame that Jesus had to complete. So this wasn't his time. Therefore, he had to escape. And as far as we know, he never did return back to Nazareth. Uh, this is the last mention of Jesus in Nazareth. And we have no other indication that he ever went back there. Now that concludes verse 30. And I want to read a little bit of more scripture here before we start visiting about it. The Son of Man is going to prove his power. He's going to have power over unclean spirits. So let's take a look at our scriptures. If you'll turn back to your Bibles. Beginning with verse 31. Then he, which is Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbaths. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, he came out of him and did not hurt him. 
Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. I want to take another quick break there. And let's discuss verses 31 and 34 collectively. The expression went down reflects the descent that was necessary from the elevated situation of Nazareth to the coastal plain. We're speaking geographically here. Now, Nazareth's loss was Capernaum's gain. Luke has already mentioned Capernaum. It's a town on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it, he mentions it as a center of miraculous activity in the ministry of Jesus Christ. The people in the latter city recognized that Jesus' teaching was authoritative. His words were convicting, uh, his words were convicting and impelling. Compelling. Now verses 31 through 34, and we'll get in to those verses a little bit later. We're kind of getting into them now. They describe a, a typical Sabbath day in the life of, of Jesus. As was the custom, Jesus attended the synagogue and began to preach there, or to teach, rather. And the people listening to him, like those in Nazareth, they were amazed, especially because this teacher, who in their eyes wasn't even a rabbi, but he taught with authority. And the majority of rabbis would base their teachings on the chain of tradition. They would cite the opinions of their predecessors. And Jesus' teaching, however, it had authority. It, it, it had authority inherent in his message. And while Jesus was speaking, he was interrupt, interrupted by a demon-possessed man. This, this was a man who had a demon in him, actually probably several. Now, the reality of demon possession is seen in this passage. The demon possession is too frequent and integral to the gospel narratives to minimize or even to discard as a Hellenistic superstition. This happens. This happened then. The good news preached by Jesus signaled an attack on the forces of evil. Basically, a holy war was being launched, and the demons, they knew it. And this war would be carried on by Jesus' disciples after Jesus has his ascension into heaven. But the demon is further described as an evil or an unclean spirit. And an evil spirit is unclean in contrast to the holiness of God and may well cause both moral and physical filth in a possessed human. They produce impurity in the lives of their victims. Now the possessed man, he shrieked, uttered an expression of surprise, and then he asked a question. The demons knew of Jesus' presence, and this keeps with the pattern in the Gospels. The testimony to the truth about Christ comes from a number of different and even unexpected sources. This is one of them. They reveal Jesus as master over demons and disease. The demons showed clear knowledge that Jesus was the Holy One of God who would eventually destroy the hosts of Satan. Now Jesus, in verse 35, he issues a twofold command to the demon. 
He says, be quiet and come out of him. Jesus' stern command for the demon to be silent is shown as an action that we may see of the pattern prohibiting the premature proclamation of his identity. Now, throughout the Gospels, Jesus guards the fact of his Messiahship, probably to prevent a misinterpretation that would draw to him revolutionary-minded dissidents uh, that were seeking a leader against Rome, and also to allow his Messianic works themselves to be established. He had to have, like I said before, we're on a time frame here. He had to do certain things, and these miracles had to be performed because of Scripture. So his authority among true believers had to be proven through these miracles. So that could be some of the reasons why he wanted to keep that part of it secret. There is the possibility to avoid an inappropriate self-proclamation as the Messiah, because this opens the door for others to proclaim him as the Messiah rather than doing so himself. Uh, he wanted others, uh, I guess another a better way to put it is he wanted others to declare that he was the Messiah rather than Jesus standing there saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. Uh, others needed to proclaim that fact. Then Jesus speaks a simple word of command on his own authority, and the demon came out of the man. He did so after throwing the man to the ground, but then he left him unharmed. Luke always, his interest is always from the viewpoint of physician, and he's always viewing the physical condition of people. I think that's interesting that he puts in there, and he left the man unharmed. He observed that the demon came out violently, but he also viewed that it came out without hurting the man. Okay, unfortunately, that's all the time I have for today. Next time we will continue. We'll get into uh, where Jesus performs a miracle with Peter's mother-in-law. So until next time, God bless each and every one of you, and keep living Christian strong.